0: If you're struggling in management, well, this episode is for you. And I think all of us at some point or another have struggled in management. Am I right, Shane?
1: I'm starting to question the topics <laughs> that we discussed when I'm here. I flew all the way here to talk about how do we build trust when we got trust issues and now we're talking about struggling in management. I'm starting to wonder if I'm an expert in all of these areas. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, you said it. We are joined today by the one and only Shane Michael Hatton. Come on down. That's what I feel like I need to do.
1: You're good I (laughs) I feel like if this whole podcasting thought leadership thing doesn't work out, you've got a real career in Wheel of Fortune.
0: (laughs) But anyway, here we are, Total Pros, in-person recording. Let's get into it. This is a podcast about making work, work. You'll learn about leadership, career growth, and how to navigate those weird work challenges. I run a HR consulting business called Boldside where I help leaders build epic team cultures. If you lead a team or run a business and you think I can help, let's connect on LinkedIn. My name is Shelley Johnson and this is Work. Work. Okay, first question. And before, I will say, if you're listening, you know Shane and I and our style, we don't do rapid fire. Yeah, we-, <laughs> we did.
1: Before we started, we were like, all right, let's do a rapid fire episode. And we were like, no, 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 no. Let's not say rapid fire because it's not going to be rapid fire.
0: If only we could do that. But we're just, we just love to um, go deep on all the questions. But anyway, here's the first question what is the first skill or thing a new leader needs to nail? It's a
1: great question, Shelley. What do you think the person should do? When <laughs> handball. They... <laughs> that is the first skill is to learn how to handball. No, I, gosh, I mean, this is so what's hard about any question. It's like, what's the first thing or what's the best thing or what's the most important thing is, they're almost all important, all at the same time. But let's, let's, let's talk about some things of where people could start because people are going to enter leadership in different conversations. And I think one of the things that I've learned the most about the transition from team member to people leader, which is, I think, the hardest transition to make. Um, people would often say, no, no, it's going from executive leader to, you know, from manager to executive leader. And I'm like, "What? no, no, no. I think team member to people is the hardest because all of the skills that got you promoted look very different to the skills that will help sustain you in leadership. For example, often the things that get you promoted are you're very good at your job or you're the last one standing and everyone else is (laughs) gone. So you're very good at your job, which means you get promoted because of your technical proficiency. But then you find yourself in leadership and now all of a sudden you can't know everything about everything and therefore you have to rely on the technical proficiency of your team. So that's one example of many, many examples that could come across. But I'm going to give you one that I I think is the most important. And that is as a leader, learning to become more aware of and conscious of your inner world. Mm -hmm. Because your inner world will significantly shape your outer world. The people around you will be influenced by your internal voices. Let me give you a couple of examples. Number one, if I'm an insecure leader, I will perceive everybody around me as someone who is trying to get me, who's out to attack me. I will misinterpret their intentions. All of those things because of my own insecurity as a filter. Another example is if I don't believe that I'm a leader, chances are good I'm not going to show up and act like a leader. I'll act like someone who's insecure, who's not in charge, and therefore people around me will perceive me as someone who's not a leader. So if I haven't got a conscious awareness of, number one, my inner world, and B, the ability to be able to reframe, become more aware of reframing my my own internal narratives, I reckon that's going to make it really hard to be a leader and that's where I would start.
0: I love that, around your inner world, and it reminds me, of something that our friend Rowan Dredge said to me a while back. He said, when you're in leadership, you need to figure out what it's like to be on the other side of mm-hmm. you. And I've thought about that more times than <laughs> I care to, where I've thought about what is the experience of the person sitting across from me yeah. like? Yeah, yeah. Because we don't know mm. what it's like to be on the other side of me. Like, I don't know the things that I'm doing that are annoying people unless they, A, tell me or oh, I spend time mm. really reflecting on how am I showing up versus who do I want to become. Yeah. And so for me, a big thing in leadership, and I think every leader needs to start here, as you say, the inner world, like looking at your belief systems. I know you talk a lot about belief systems yeah. for new leaders. For me, I think about the self and other awareness. So I need to start with that self-awareness of going, okay, what is it like to be on the other side of me? How do I want to show up? What sort of things like make me respond in ways that aren't helpful? Like what might be the kind of catalyst to me not showing up in the way that I want? And then how do I have more other awareness? Yeah. Like this is where, and this is where I feel like it becomes looking at your inner world, as you said, and then reading the room, like really understanding what is going on for the people around me. I was sitting in a meeting the other day with a leadership team and some were experienced, some were not, uh, pretty green, new leaders. And I just watched one of them, probably one of the more experienced people in the room, and they just kept cutting people off Mm. and interrupting. And I just noticed it and watched it and I thought, This is an example of like not having that self and other awareness to go, hey, what do people need from me in this moment? And when I cut someone off or when I overshare or talk for way too long and don't let other people speak up, that person didn't notice that everyone's head started to kind of drop when they would talk and the room started to kind of shut down. And it was this really interesting thing. And it's easy for me to observe that when I'm like, just watching on. Mm. But it's hard when you're the person to see what's happening. And I think that ability to go, okay, how am I showing up? What are the things that I might do that might get people offside? And what are the things that I do really well that I need to amplify? Mm. But also then the next layer of other awareness, how do I start to see how my leadership is impacting the people around me? Is it helping them thrive or is it causing them to like shut down?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've been in rooms where people will say something and you're like, you clearly are not picking up on the vibe that everyone's giving <laughs> you right now. You know, like people have disengaged. They're on their phones. They've checked out. You're not listening. The problem I find in those situations is often the person who does that, it's a repeated behaviour And not one person ever says anything about it. So they don't get the opportunity to learn and grow from that. So we're talking about skills for helpful skills for being a new leader. Um, Number one, be aware of your own internal narratives and what you say about yourself, the internal thoughts you have, how that's shaping, how you show up, being aware of other people, what it's like to be on the other side of you. And then the third component I think of that is the only way you can really get to know what it's like to be on the other side of you is to have that space where you're constantly getting input from other people. Mm. So when you get promoted to leadership, you're like, okay, I've made it. I'm in leadership now. And everything that you were when you were aspiring to leadership was like a sponge, like teach me, teach me, teach me. And now all of a sudden you feel like because you're a leader, you have to know it all. It's like, no, be a bigger sponge, be a bigger learner. Um, and in doing so, get the feedback from the people around you because otherwise we, it's really hard. And this is something we've been reflecting on lately. I, I did a LinkedIn, LinkedIn post about this recently. It's like, how do you teach someone self-awareness? Mm. And I, it's really hard to build self-awareness on your own. Like you need somebody else to kind of help elevate some of the things that you didn't know about yourself, that you can hear it, reflect on it and go, oh, wow. Okay. Now I can think about that, learn from that, grow from that. But we need inputs from other people around us to get better.
0: And I think that goes to, if I was to think about the one thing leaders or new leaders, actually, wherever you're at in leadership, (laughs) you need to, to cultivate would be, an environment where people can share openly with you. So like that example you said where everyone knows that person does that thing, but no one's told them. Your job as a new leader, as as a leader who's really experienced is to create an environment where people can say to you like, hey, Shell, when you get into that room, you talk too much and you don't give space for people okay, cool. I didn't know that I do that because like, I'm just like a verbal processor. I'm doing my
1: thing. I'm out here doing my thing. No one ever told me that.
0: But if you don't create an environment where it's like safe for people to speak up and challenge you and, yeah. and respectfully give you feedback, well, you're not going to know what it's like to be on the other side of you.
1: Yeah, agreed. How many times have you been in a, in a group conversation and you're the new person to the group and you're almost like an external observer and you're going, is anybody else seeing this? Like, am I the only person who is <laughs> is recognising this? What is going on here? Why is nobody saying anything? And then you say something and everyone's like, oh my gosh, they said it. They said it. And this person's like, oh, I didn't know that. And then they change. Everyone's like, I've just been putting up with this for the last 10 years. I just assumed that that was the person that they were. And you're like, oh, who would have thought that a conversation might actually be the thing that makes a difference for people? And Crazy. if
0: you put yourself in that situation, like I was thinking about this of going... If I'm doing something that makes my team shut down and like droop their shoulders and droop their head and think, (laughs) oh no, here we go again. I would want them to tell me like desperately, like because I don't want to be doing that. And I think that's where we need to communicate our desire for feedback to our team and create an environment where they can speak up and share openly. And it needs to be reciprocal. Like as a leader, you need to be able to share open, honest feedback with your team. And likewise, you need to, to get that feedback from them. And I think the way that you do that is instead of being like, do you have any feedback for me Mm -hmm. and making it really general, get really specific about Mm -hmm. the areas. So So maybe you focus on, hey, I'm really working on how I show up in meetings. I really want to get better at facilitating meetings where we get to really good conversation. I'd love you before our next team meeting to just jot down anything you notice that you think is positive or maybe you think I could do better Mm. as a leader in meetings. And so then they're thinking really tactically about the feedback they give you because it's really hard for your employees if you're a team leader, it's really hard for them to speak up and give you feedback because there's a power dynamic. And they're like, I don't know how to say this. So be really explicit in what you're asking for. And that way you're going to get more quality feedback, especially in the early days.
1: Yeah. I was in London recently and saw Adam Grant do an interview and he had this really nice frame on this, which I liked, where he said, um, what is helpful often is asking people for advice rather than feedback, which is a really nice frame because he said feedback is asking for someone to reflect on a past experience, whereas advice is asking them to think about the future. And he said, and sometimes it's more helpful for the future than it is to just sit and reflect on the past or to go over it again on the past. So as a leader, I actually think advice can be really helpful because it, uh, for example, you might say to someone, let's say you did a presentation and you felt like as a leader, it was a bit not your best, but you want some feedback on it. You could ask the person rather than saying, how did I do, you know, what feedback do you have for me? You say, hey, if, I'm, if I was to deliver that presentation again, what advice would you give me? Or what would you do um, if you had to do this again? If you were giving someone advice, what would you give them? And it kind of allows them to think about it in a different way, which I think that's such a nice and helpful frame.
0: And it's way less threatening. Yeah,
1: way less threatening. I like yeah.
0: like It takes kind of that nervousness that we get when someone's like feedback you're like, oh no, I got, <laughs> yeah. like, I'm cringing. But yeah. to be able to frame it in that way is so powerful. Who
1: doesn't love giving advice? I mean, oh yeah! That's, I mean, that's what you and I are doing right here. <laughs> we, <laughs> unsolicited we unsolicited. No one asked for this. I mean, to be fair, they're listening. So you're listening. So you know. And we you love kind of you. And everything.
0: make sure you give us a five star rating review. <laughs> 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 okay. Next question: What is your biggest leadership fail that you've learned from?
1: Oh gosh how do how do you say this? This is the challenge. Like, what's the 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 first thing a leader needs to learn? What's your biggest fail? Like, there is just like my problem is my brain fills with all the things that I've you know, I could talk about. Um, it's an interesting one because I I, I I think more about a management fail as opposed to a leadership, but they're both. I think it's both at the same time. I was a really bad micromanager, like really bad. And I think it was mostly through fear of it not being done to the level that I think it was, you know, or that I think it should have been done at. And so as a result, I spent many years just micromanaging people and I, I look back at it now and there was two kind of components that came out to me that made me realise, oh, I really got that wrong there. One is it told people that I don't trust you, which I, I look back and I think I really regret people ever feeling like that in leadership, thinking that, oh, my leader doesn't trust me because they're constantly critiquing or pulling apart or jumping in and taking over. Um, and the other thing is it, that it did is it? I look back now in hindsight, all the things that I thought were really important actually were not that important. Because in the moment, I said, this is the most important thing ever. And then in hindsight, I went, oh, it didn't really matter. And so if they did it at 80%, 50% of what I thought I could do it at, then probably it was going to be fine. And as a result of that, I wasted all this mental, emotional energy personally. I communicated this message to my team that I didn't trust them, that I didn't believe they were good enough. And you look back and go, what was all that for? Mm. I mean, that's the one that immediately pops out of my mind that that took me a long time to get past.
0: How did you get past it?
1: Look, <laughs> well, I, I still see characteristics of that micromanaging kicking in. And, and for me, there's a couple of things that have to come into play, which is one, the belief that just because it doesn't get done my way doesn't mean it's not a good way. Um, and that's a, that's a big distinction, especially working in my own business with, um, you know, even my own business manager where I'm like, hey, I want you to do it this, like this, and then they'll go and do it a different way. And I'm like, oh, I wouldn't have done it that way but getting to the outcome and recognising, oh, actually, we still achieve the outcome. And so moving more towards outcome-based leadership as opposed to process or practice-based leadership, I think was a big part of that is going, my, my job is to hold people accountable to outcomes, not to the process in which that outcome was achieved. Unless, of course, it's moving outside of the thing, which is, you know, a healthy boundary.
0: I love that. The difference between the outcome and the process. Yeah. For me, if I think about my biggest leadership fail, and you're absolutely right, like there's so many. It's only that this one's come to mind, but like there would be like a catalogue of years of yeah. data
1: to choose from. Well, that's, yeah, you're looking at going, okay, what's, what's the ones that like, you know, that, that immediately come to mind that I could share 10 of? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So I think one of the big ones early days that I did was I wasn't very... I wasn't able to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. and I felt like I needed to know it all. So when I first got my probably big HR manager gig with a bigger team in a bigger business, I was only like 24. So I was really young and inexperienced, I would say, and I felt underqualified. And I was, Mm -hmm. I feel like I was like looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, why did they give me that job? (laughs) But I went in with that mindset and going to your point up front of like your inner world and your belief systems, I went in with a belief system of I'm underqualified, I'm not good enough, Mm -hmm. I'm really young and I don't have what it takes. (laughs) So lots of like probably harsh beliefs and some of them probably true. Like Mm -hmm. if the the reality of if we confront the brutal reality, some of those would be true. Like I was really young and I wasn't probably as experienced as other people who they might (laughs) have (laughs) hired. But the thing was... I allowed those beliefs to then dictate how I showed up. So then I felt like I needed to go in and prove all of those things wrong. Yeah. So I, I showed up with this kind of mindset of like, I need to have all the answers. I need to know it all. Like I'm the best HR manager there ever was. Like, I don't know. Like I was trying to almost counteract those internal things by like putting out this kind of facade. And so I I wasn't vulnerable with my team. And instead of like when there was issues that would crop up that I honestly had no idea how to solve, Mm. I would go into like this is what we need to do and just like try and portray this level of confidence instead of saying, you know what, I don't know what we should do and what do you (laughs) think we should do because there's like a brain's trust here of really smart people who can input and it doesn't have to be on me to make the call. Like let's collectively work this through and you use the knowledge that's in the room to get to the outcome. Mm. But I was I was just so like not prepared to be vulnerable at because it probably got to that belief
1: mm.
0: that you you've actually taught me a lot about this Shane around really understanding that belief and challenging it or, or really getting familiar with it to then go, okay, how is this impacting how I show up as mm. a manager and a leader? And if I was to give anyone advice, it would be you don't have to have all the answers, yeah. but your team probably does. Yeah. And if you can get that group together and go, you know what? Hey, like, I don't know what to do. And you can use humour in this. Mm. Like, I think humour and playfulness can be a really powerful tool to be like, hey, like, look, this is a weird one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what I what we should do, but I think in this room, we can come up with a solution together.
1: Mm. I, I love that. I've always said one of the first quotes that I had in, in Lead the Room, which is my first book, was that people are inspired by your achievement, but they connect through your vulnerability. And if you think about the people who are the most successful people that tell their story, more often than not, you feel really inspired. You're like, oh, that's so inspiring. But the people who share their vulnerability and are really honest, you go, I just, I feel like I know them better and I connect with them more. Like they don't feel so inaccessible anymore. And it's so, it's, this is just, again, another thing that immediately is just challenging me, even this conversation, because, you know, you immediately ask the question, "What what do you feel like is your biggest fail that you've learned from in leadership?" And my default response to that is to go to a safe answer, right? Micromanaging is a safe answer mm-hmm. to that question. And people who are listening, and I, they may not know this, you know, maybe people will go, "Oh, that was a good answer. That's a fine answer." But I sat there the entire time listening to yours, going, "That's not a really vulnerable answer. That's that's not an easy. That's 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 an easy answer because it doesn't require much for me to be able to share that." Um, but the more I was thinking about it, I was like, "Well, actually, probably the 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 more." honest answer is my, my, probably my biggest fail in leadership was not having good people around me and having support networks around me. So I, I think in leadership, there's belief systems, performance systems, and support systems. It, it's the internal world, the things that help you to, to, to kind of show up in your inner world that influences your outer world. It's performance systems, which is the things that you know are going to help you to do your job effectively. But the one that was a missing ingredient for me for so long was my support systems. people who have a sense of accountability, nurturing, both of those two things, people who can kick your butt and people who can pat you back and people who can sit with you in in those moments. And I think I, for a long time, didn't have those support systems in place and it hurt me in a really bad way. And so if someone was saying like, what are some of the things that are really important for me? This even goes back to our first question. I think one of the first things you should do is get really good people around you, like great support systems. So find a mentor, find a coach find a peer, find someone who can talk to honestly and openly, get a good therapist, get all of that support crew around you and I think that that for me is much more of the honest answer.
0: You mentioned that it did have a big impact on you not having the support. What would you say was the impact?
1: Huge, like it's it's mental impact. It's um, if you don't have a good support network, you you do too much. So you take on too much because you don't you don't delegate. You don't ask people to help. You end up just trying to carry the the burden, the weight of that on your own. Um, so that's just in terms of your job performance. So you, you take on too much in your job performance. You end up burning yourself out, wearing yourself out. The mental capacity is people don't talk about the mental capacity or the mental load of leadership. Mm. Is that you are not just someone who is leading people but you you often play the role of therapist and counselor to all of your team members at the same time so it's not just the the physical you know the the workload it's the mental load that comes with that so again i you start to realize that you burn out because you take on too much you you don't have people to talk through some of the most challenging parts of leadership um, and if that goes on for too long you get a therapist by necessity rather than by choice, choice. and it affects you in a really bad way. So I think, yeah, support crew is so important.
0: I think the comment about burnout for leaders is really massive right now. Like, and I think about my own burnout experience as a manager and how much, it's just funny, Shane, like we feel like we can go and go and go and go and and take on problem, problem, problem. And like the weight that you hold, and if you're listening right now and you're either new to management or you've been in management for a long time, there's just a weight that comes with it. And you're often dealing with a lot of complex dynamics you've never had to encounter before. Mm. It's not just about the work. It's about the people and their energy, emotions, behaviours, mindsets that impact the way that the work happens. And to me, we don't talk about the heaviness that comes with that role and the responsibility and weight. And so that's where I feel like your point around the support system is so massive because we walk into this role feeling like I know all the technical stuff, mm. therefore I will be able to lead people doing the technical stuff. Yeah. And then sure enough, we're like, holy crap. Like when you get in there, you're like, it's not about the work anymore. It's about how the work gets done through people. Yeah. And that comes with all the mess and all the dynamics. And so I love that reflection of mm. get support before you desperately need support. Yeah. Because you if you don't prioritize that and you don't make that, your own mental health and your own well-being a priority, it will become an urgent Mm. need down the track. And that's where things like, I know you've been, you've had a burnout experience. I had to take three months off work and like that stuff, Mm. it's not like no one's got margin in their life to take three months off work when you're like, holy crap, I need an income and I need all this. So this stuff is serious. Like we need to take it serious. On that note, Let's take a quick water break, you know? Um, (laughs) When we come back, I want to talk about the big wins that you've had Mm. in leadership. If you want to grow in your career, I just wanted to remind you about our book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Glenn James and I have written this book to help you with any kind of career crisis, but also those things that you want, like getting a promotion, making more money, moving into a leadership role, or if it's time to quit your job, you can find our book wherever you get good books from, or you can listen on the audiobook, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Now let's get back to the show. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss. All right, Shane, we've talked about the fails, vulnerability <laughs> being one, micromanagement, not having support systems. Let's flip it and talk about the <laughs> wins. What are some of your big wins in leadership?
1: Can I just say one of the things that for people who are listening to the podcast is, is so fascinating is I don't know if you felt it. We're in this, this studio recording here at the moment. It's a big studio and people who are listening to this audio won't, won't see it. But did you noticeably feel our conversation shift when we moved into that place of talking about yeah. vulnerability? Yes. And I don't know, it's so hard to quantify that. And people may even felt that, that we're listening, but- there's something about vulnerability that evokes vulnerability for people and when you're willing to kind of go to that place people come with you and you really led that in that moment which was going hey let's let's go there
0: and it's really weird because i could see when i was talking you were like there was something going on yeah. for you and i was like we're going to change tack i can tell <laughs> because i was watching you observe the like listening deep listening going oh yeah something's like something else is going to come out of this conversation so you're absolutely right vulnerability evokes vulnerability
1: yeah and so, yeah, like let, let's—I mean, let's talk about the wins because I think again, this is again about being aware of that leadership has these really hard moments that even in a vulnerable moment can turn into a great win for you. Mm. Do you know what I mean like our mistakes aren't? It's like bad and good. It's like sometimes our bad can birth a whole lot of good that comes as a consequence of that. Um, and I, I think for me, one of the things that I've I've learned, and there was a big win for me in leadership, was this awareness of two things. I can learn from anybody and I have something to contribute in any context, which is the, the kind of two sides of a coin. So for example, one of the things you often find in leadership is when you get promoted to leadership, you feel like you said before, I have to know all the answers. and I feel like I've got to be the person that people can come to to find that advice that they need. But it is a hugely liberating feeling when you recognize that you can ask your team you have got this capable group of people around you who can help you solve that i remember being distinctly in a meeting where people gave some advice i was like oh my gosh that's way better than what i would have come up with oh okay these are talented and clever people and then the flip side of that is recognizing that in every context that you find yourself in you have something to contribute um so often people who are new leaders go to a more senior level meeting and they think that their job is just to sit there listen and observe And what I would say to them is, if you've been invited to that meeting, you are there because you have a perspective Mm -hmm. to bring. And I didn't realise that for a long time. And so I would sit in conversations and just observe, thinking, oh, I'm just here to learn. Oh, what a privilege it is for me to be here. As opposed to going, oh, actually, I I don't know if they fully understood this. I reckon I've got something that I could share on this idea. And so I'll always see those kind of couple of key moments and learnings as big wins for me because it started to enable this confidence and conviction to say, oh, I've got something to contribute. I've got something to add.
0: I love both of those. It's it's that tension between I have something to, c- to contribute and I have something to learn. Yeah. And I can do those things at the same time yes. in every every moment that I'm every kind of work environment that I'm showing
1: up to. I can have both those things. Mm. That's what I wanted to say, but you said it way better. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, we can always learn something. <laughs> I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot in this podcast episode.
0: <laughs> For me, the big win, I mean, there's been I there's been some good wins, like, yeah. and I think there's been some big fails. <laughs> <But> <laughs> the big win, I feel like, and I learned this from a leader who I worked for who was absolutely amazing, who was never you you mentioned up front if you're insecure, you feel threatened by people or they don't like if you don't address that inner world, it shows up in how you how you lead. I learned from an amazing leader that they tried to always hire people who were better than them in different ways. Mm. And for me, like, I just felt like I grabbed onto that and caught that and went, okay, I am i don't ever want to be threatened by someone who works for me. Mm. I want to hire people who are better than me. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> so I've just consistently tried to do that, like, hire people who are better than me at all the things and, and bring that team together because if you get that on your team, you are going to, by default, have a high-performing team. Yeah. If you consistently try to hire people who can outgrow you, who can out-succeed you, who can do all the things... And not see that as something to be worried or threatened by, but see that as something to celebrate and be like, I'm part of their growth journey and I can see their trajectory going really far, far beyond what I'm capable mm-hmm. of. And like, so for me on my team, I've worked with Annabelle, who you know, on my team, and she's worked for me for a while, probably longer than she cares <laughs> to admit. But like, I, she is like better than me in like almost all the areas <laughs> of life. And I think... I feel so privileged to have been able to retain her as an employee over the years and so grateful that her strengths complement mine and she does things that I feel like I would never be able to do that in the way that you do that. And I know that both of us have different strengths and those match well together. But I think for any new leader, we have to get to that point where we're like, you know what, I want to hire people who are going to outgrow me and who are going to, Bring more than I could to this table because that's where I get to build the dream team. But mm. if we're if we're insecure or we've got a fragile ego or we're threatened by the success of others, we're never going to be able to build that team. Yeah, and it goes to your point up front where it's like if you don't address your inner world first, you're not going to be able to. Like I feel so confident now in myself in terms of who I am and what I'm good at that I'm like I see what Annabelle does that she does so well, and I'm like. That's awesome. I freaking love what you bring and I love the things that I bring to the team.
1: Yeah. This is this integration of those three worlds, right? Your belief systems, your performance systems, your support systems, which is get your belief systems right first, because if you are personally dysfunctional, you'll show up and bring that dysfunction to the people and your support systems will struggle and your performance systems will struggle. But get your belief systems in order, work out what are the things that I need to be doing that'll actually enable me to be at my best, but then make sure I'm surrounded by really clever and talented people. Because so if I'm surrounded by talented people and I'm insecure, then I'll always feel like I am pushing them down rather than enabling them to thrive within their role. But if I've dealt with the insecurity and I've dealt with some of that imposter syndrome and that feeling, then I can actually show up and go, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm all about your success mm-hmm. rather than feeling like I'm intimidated by your success.
0: Yes, I love that. I'm all about your success rather than being intimidated. I think that's a beautiful way for us to round up this conversation. I want to ask one final piece of advice for anyone who's in leadership or management saying, send help, Shane, what would you say? <laughs> oh
1: gosh, I, I think we, we've touched on all the things that I think are super important. I think as a leader, it's not your job to be the best in the room. I think you're, it's your job to leverage the best of the room. Uh, I think there are great quality, talented people around you. Um, and if you are a team member showing up onto a team, then I actually think you should strive to be the best at what you do so that you can contribute to that room in a really meaningful way um, because your leader relies on you and and or they should rely on you to be talented and exceptional at your job. So go be remarkable at your job, bring that to the conversation. Um, and then if you're a leader, recognise that they're doing that work to... To leverage those people.
0: Amazing. Hey, well, thanks for hanging out. If people want to find out more about you, where do they go?
1: Let's hang out on LinkedIn.
0: Woo-hoo, LinkedIn, baby. We love LinkedIn. <laughs> we're always there. So jump on, find us both. Hey, I just want to say thanks so much for listening to the show and supporting what we're doing on This Is Work. As always, if you enjoyed it, give us five-star rating and review on Spotify or Apple. Thanks, Shane, for hanging out.
1: Always a delight. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we live and work and pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to this podcast. Before you do anything meaningful with your money, you need to be able to control your money. I can help. The Glen James Spending Plan is a complete spending plan budgeting system that will show you how to manage your money. It includes a downloadable spreadsheet that will tell you how much to put into what account each week And you will get control over your money within two pay cycles. Thousands of people have used the Glen James Spending Plan and it is now free. So download the Glen James Spending Plan and enrol today. Why don't
0: more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science?